All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. Today, joined by the former host of the Atlantic and Coastal Podcast for The Athletic, that would be Virginia Tech beat writer Andy Bitter. Andy, um, you know, it, it had a good run. Atlantic and Coastal had a good run. Now it's over, and, I, and I'm thinking you and I got a partner and do some ACC stuff. What do you think? Did it have a good run? It, it had a run that lasted <laughs> through a pandemic season, which was weird. And then right. last year, which was just one year. So I don't know if that's a good run. It had a run. We can uh, we can <laughs> we can fully admit that. I won't go anything beyond that. Um, listen, Atlantic and Coastal, you were going to have to get rid of the name anyway. Right. After this season, you were going to have well, to do something else. I thought it became cooler now that it would have been the defunct uh, uh, division model. And actually, that first year we did it, they didn't have the divisions because it was the COVID year. Right. So they got rid of the divisions. I feel like if I would have been doing it in the future, it would have been like a retro thing. Like, oh, man, this guy's old school ACC. That's this true. Is back when they had divisions. Uh, so, yeah, we lost that that aspect of it. But, oh, well, missed opportunity. It, it I don't know. Do we call it grant of rights now? Do we call this segment the grant of rights that's holding the ACC together? That's too long of a name. We got to come up with something better. Yeah, there's not the tough part with the ACC is there's not something that really like binds it. Right. Like it's such a wide ranging conference. It's like, what does Boston College and Florida State have in common? Like other than uniform colors, I guess, for those two. But it's like north and south. It's not like you do like a sweet tea conference or something like it just doesn't it doesn't work like that. So sponsored uh, by Duke's Mayo. That's what yeah, gotta, this, this is part that, of the man. problem when we were naming Atlantic and Coastal is, is trying to come up with something like that. So we'll brainstorm it. Atlantic and Coastal might be what we have to uh, call it going forward. Uh, like you said, the retro idea. Maybe that'll just remind people of the glory days. How bummed are you that they're getting rid of the divisions? Because you were the guy who originally came up with the idea they, that they're now adopting, which is the 355. You were the mastermind behind it. Is there any sadness at all that the Coastal is going away? No sadness. None at all. No, I've been on this train for nine years. Uh, as you mentioned, I did write about this nine years ago. They find me an article before that that published this 355 model. I'm just putting that out there. I, I haven't seen one. You know, I'll change my tune if somebody shows me one predating June of 2013. But uh, for now, I'm going to stake claim to having come up with this idea. Uh, I never liked the divisions that much anyway. I thought it was just an artificial way to, to say that you're in a competition when you're not. And, you know, sometimes most of the time it felt like one of the divisions was inferior to the other one and you get to the championship game and it's sort of this anticlimactic moment to the season where it's like, okay, Clemson or Florida State are going to beat the hell out of who from the coastal. And it wasn't every year, but a lot of years you're sitting there going, man, Clemson's number two in the country and Florida State's number five in the country. Why aren't these guys playing at the end of the year to decide something? Why don't you put your best foot forward? At that point, ACC, and you know, you want people to watch these championship games. I think that's something that people would really watch. So, uh, I'm all for the the divisionless thing. I don't care about these athletic directors. Like, well, how do I sell tickets if we're in tenth place in the ACC? I'm like, well, finish better than tenth place in the ACC. It won't, <laughs> it won't be a problem. So, like these people, are like, well, we're in third place in the coastal going into November. It's like that's not very good. Sometimes that's a pretty far out of first place. Uh, you know, world's smallest violin for these people that uh, have to change up their their marketing strategy a little bit. But I think this is good because I think it gets the rivalries uh, kept that need to be kept. Mostly, for some reason, Virginia Tech's not playing Miami every year. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. 
Uh, but you keep the most of the rivalries that matter and you get to get through the rest of the conference in a timely matter, which is, you know, th- that was the big thing with this league is, you know, if you're Virginia Tech, it doesn't even feel like you're in the same league as Florida State. No, or if you're Miami. It doesn't even feel like you're in the same league as Clemson because you just don't play them that often. Wake Forest. Yeah. Once every seven years is ridiculous under that mm-hmm. old model. So now this time you're going to see them twice every four years. Uh, I like that. I like that setup. Yeah. Uh, Miami Wake Forest. That's that. I think the last time they played that game, um, Al Golden was still coach at Miami. And that was that was a long time ago. A couple um, coaches ago now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're we're going to talk a little bit about the Miami Virginia Tech rivalry down the road, because I wanted to ask you about that. Um, but I wanted to start. And part of the reason I'm bringing you on uh, my podcast, obviously, is because you were in Charlotte. I wasn't. I was with my mother. And my family out in the mountains in Georgia, my mom's 67th birthday, my mom, you know, she's got diabetes. Uh, she's going to need a, a transplant here probably in the next five to 10 years. And so every birthday now is special. And I, I just, you know, we plan this so far ahead of ACC media days. I was like, you know what? I'll see Mario. I'll see Tyler Van Dyke. I'll see all these guys. I don't need to be there. And any bitter will be there. And so will Matt Fortuna and, I, and the rest of our ACC team. And you guys did fine. You didn't need me. Well, that was the whole ACC team. We're a shrinking group right now. That was the the extent. I remember can't one of the first years, anymore. Well, she, yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't there. She was off doing recruiting stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I remember that first year we talked to the commissioner Swaffer, where there's like five or six of us in the room, and mm-hmm. now it's it's dwindling. It was a actually good conversation Fortuna and I had with uh, Jim Phillips in the the athletics breakout session there. So and I and in that meeting, I told him, "Hey, now." This guy had your scheduling model nine years ago. Just note that. Know that. So uh, I've gone all the way to the top and told them who came up with that idea. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you don't miss anything at the ACC kickoff, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's everybody's in a great mood. Everybody's, you know, nobody's lost a game at that point. I'm feeling really confident about this team. This is the best conditioning we've ever been in. We're really physical. Yeah, everybody says the exact same stuff at those things. It's nice to get together and sort of kick off the football season in a somewhat lighthearted way, but as far as hard news, you're not really missing anything at that event. No, not at all. And I guess, you know, the big conversations really were uh, about the new coaches, right? I mean, you've got one. I've got one here in Miami. Uh, we had a few others in the conference. Um, you know, Mario is a big deal, I think, for, for the ACC. And, and, and especially the way Miami is spending money now, you know, with everything going on with your alignment, we're going to dive into that in a second. But it it feels like Miami and Virginia Tech in particular, two programs that were sort of the ACC's big pickups, right, if you will, uh, back in 2004, uh, they need to win. They need to be good. I don't know where Virginia Tech is headed under Brent Pry, but I got a good feeling about Miami right now. And I know I've said that, you know, every year you and I have worked together. This might be the team. Uh, I just think because of the money that they've spent on coaching, the money they spent on facilities, what they're doing in name, image, and likeness to get really good players here. It feels like Miami's on the cusp. They were picked uh, to win the, the division this year, which is meaningless. They've won it once in, in the entire time <laughs> that they've been a part of uh, the Coastal. But I don't know. Like, you always shoot Miami down when you and I talk. You're like, yeah, I'm never – are you buying Mario is my question. As, as, a, as a voter in the, in the ACC preseason poll, were you buying Miami, or who did you pick to win the division? I picked Pitt. You picked Pitt. It's um, not a bad pick. I picked him to finish second. Now, a couple of years ago, when Miami played in that Independence Bowl mm-hmm. uh, against Louisiana Tech, where they yeah. shut out in that game. 14 nothing. Okay. As I'm watching that game, I tweeted, I said, Dear Andy Bitter VT, 
no matter what happens this offseason, do not pick Miami to win the Coastal Division title. <laughs> Signed Andy Bitter VT. And then I said, somebody tweet this at me in July as a reminder not to pick Miami. And every July since then, somebody reminds me of that before the ACC kickoff. That tweet has had legs for a couple of years now, reminding that. I, I feel like when we do this thing, we always look at the teams on paper, and Miami is always a very sexy team on paper because it recruits better than anybody in the conference. I mean, just you know, star-wise, you look at the roster, you go, man, look at this, all the blue chips on this roster. And it's been like that forever. I mean, as long as you can remember with Miami, they've always had the most talented roster and they've never been able to really do anything with it outside of that one season. They won the coastal division. So again, here we are listening to all the great things that Mario Cristobal is doing. The U is back. He's got that swagger back. I remember when Manny Diaz was riding in boats and the, the, canals and stuff like that and everybody's like oh the u's got the swagger turnover chain here we go and a couple years later they're you know 500 team he's getting fired i i'm just i come in cautiously with this whole miami crystal ball thing i'm gonna have to see it and even if i do think that they're you know they've got big things up on the horizon i'm a little skeptical that's gonna happen this year with this year's team i think they're recruiting great that all looks fine those players aren't here yet they're playing with the roster basically they had last year, plus uh, the additions, obviously, in the offseason. And, and I just don't know if that's a better roster than Pitt right now or a better team than Pitt. And now, Pitt has its own issues. Don't get me wrong. You know, losing uh, Heisman Trophy candidates in, in Kenny Pickett at quarterback, losing the offensive coordinator, Jordan Addison leaves. But that's a pretty deep team still. And I think they had like eight guys that were on the all ACC teams last year. So, you know, between a team that won it last year that has a lot returning, even if it's not the headliner players, and a team that annually disappoints in this thing, we always fall for the trap. We always pick Miami. I went with Pitt this year. So we'll see if that's a good decision or not. But Miami's in the in this phase now where I'm gonna have to see it first. And I you, listen, I put Virginia Tech in that same category. I'm not falling for the Virginia Tech thing until I see it first. It's gotta happen. I'm not gonna talk myself into the Hokies. I want to see some progress on the field before I turn around and actually pick these teams to accomplish something in the preseason. Let's talk about Pitt a little bit, because the reason I didn't pick them wasn't just because they lost their quarterback, Kenny Pickett. Uh, obviously, Jordan Addison was a huge loss. He, you know, Belitnikoff Award winner, uh, gone to USC. They lost their offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, who was at Miami many, many years ago with Randy Shannon. He went to Nebraska. I just feel like that's a that's a big thing to lose coordinator, top receiver, quarterback in today's game. It, that's going to knock you back. Now, I will say they without question are, are on paper, I think, just as talented at Miami minus the quarterback like Kadon Slovis coming over from USC, bringing him in. Um, you know, he's supposed to be pretty good quarterback. He started for three years in college or two and a half because I guess he, he kind of lost his starting job last year uh, at USC. But. The point is, he's an experienced guy. I know they picked up one of the top receivers um, out of the G5 level. I think a freshman out of Western Michigan who was very, very good. I remember looking, doing the whole sort of roster breakdown. They got their whole offensive line back. They got, you know, the, the defensive line. A whole bunch of those older guys are back as well. So I agree with you. I think Pitt is, you know, they could very well come down here and beat Miami the last game of the season and win the division. But I think there's a clear separation after Miami and Pitt. And, and the reason I say that is as good as Mac Brown has done recruiting, like North Carolina last year was really disappointing, right? Like, I mean, that was their year to be really, really good. 
I just think there's a big gap. Do you agree? Do you think there's a big gap after Miami and Pitt in the division? I think there's a gap. I think it's I, I put those three first. I went Pitt, Miami, North Carolina. And then I think there's an even bigger gap after North Carolina. I don't really know what to make of North Carolina. North Carolina is one of those teams where the recruiting hasn't seemed to match what's been on the field. And you wonder, you know, what is Mac Brown doing there? You had Sam Howell last year, wasn't able to get over the hump with that team. The, the team the previous year seemed actually much, much better with all those NFL guys. They had those receivers and those running backs, especially who I think they really missed last year. But, you know, eventually maybe this talent all comes around at the same time for North Carolina. I mean, they lose Howell. They have a pretty talented quarterback crew behind him coming in. They bring in Gene Chizik again, who actually did very big things with that defense during his first stint there. Uh, I remember Gene from my time covering Auburn when I was down there and he won a national championship with Auburn. Hard to believe that uh, Mm -hmm. 10 years after the fact, but you know, he is a very organized, a very detailed defensive coordinator. And I think having that can make a pretty big defense for a a group that, uh, you know, had some talent, but maybe undisciplined, maybe made mistakes that uh, a better coach wouldn't be having them make. So I, I think there's a chance there for North Carolina to, to do something this year, but I agree with you. I think it's Pitt, Miami is those top two contenders in the division. Then I put North Carolina third, and then I, I go to the next teams after that. Yeah, I, I look Virginia. Obviously, the coaching change, bringing over, uh, you know, Tony Elliott to come be the, the head coach, a former Clemson OC, uh, smart hire. I think he's going to do a good job there. I mean, all of these Clemson guys, him and Venables, I think them. They're, they're going to have success. There's no doubt in my mind. Venables is in a, obviously in a much better situation at Oklahoma where he's going to get recruits uh, no matter what. Um, but I, I think, you know, Elliot's going to be successful at Virginia. You wrote the season preview on them. They lost their basically, I think, their entire starting offensive line, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but they've got one of the best quarterbacks in the conference and Brennan Armstrong. Um, they've got some playmakers at receiver. I think they're going to score a whole bunch of points, but I don't know the defense is going to get that much better. And then your team, Virginia Tech, when you cover, um, you know, Brent Pye, I feel like he's, I mean, they, they had a lot of kids transfer out, didn't they, at the end of the season? I mean, that's that's By necessity. Team. They had yeah. to. They were over the scholarship limit. They needed guys to leave uh, to get to that point. And I think the guys that did leave, it wasn't, you know, there was sort of a, a move to the NFL by a bunch of guys who were like, okay, this is sort of turning the page on the Fuente era and a lot of guys who normally would have been seniors, but, you know, had another year because of the COVID year, but are just like, all right, I think I'm done at this point. But uh, in the off season, like once he got past that initial wave, once Pry was in, they, they lost seven or eight guys in the portal, but they needed to, I mean, they had 10 running backs mm-hmm. on the roster when Pry took over and they lost four of them to the portal. And I don't think it was any big negative for the program. They needed to do that. They needed to get it down to a manageable number. So, uh, I, I think the interesting thing with, with Virginia Tech is I don't really see a ton of top-line talent. I don't see any obvious. And they've been I, very good. They've been very good at that position for a few years. Well, now. I mean, you look you look at last year. They had uh, four or five guys drafted, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember how many actually got picked. I think it was four. Uh, that's a decent number. I mean, they were all later on in the draft. I think the earliest was fourth or fifth round. Something. Miami's like had three. I know Barno. Amari Barno went pretty early, uh, second or third round. I think. Oh, you're talking about defensive line too. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking okay. about whole team, whole okay. team right now for Virginia Tech. So, uh, you know, you have a number of guys get drafted like that. And I look at this year's roster. I don't know if anybody gets drafted on this team. 
Hmm. Well, uh, Miami only had one last year. John Ford, seventh round. That kept the streak alive for them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's tough. It, it, that's, it's tough when you don't have a lot of those top-line players to maybe cover up some of the deficiencies on the team. And on top of that, I don't think they're very deep. And they're not very deep at a certain, uh, you know, some spots that can really hurt you. If they get an injury in their offensive line. They're dipping into true freshmen, perhaps, yeah. on the second team. Uh, you know, that would scare me if I'm a Virginia Tech fan. So I, I look at this team and, it, I, you know, I, I wonder what a coaching staff that's maybe a little more competent can accomplish with what this roster is. But at the same time, they lost some top end talent from last year's team. And I don't know they necessarily have that to replace it. So I think that'll be interesting to watch with how Pry does in his first year, because I think they'll make improvements on the defensive side. I don't really know what to expect offensively because there's so many new pieces. And then Virginia yeah, Tony Elliott has got his work cut out for him. I mean, that, that receiving core is outstanding. Mm-hmm. Let me say that up front. Brennan Armstrong's really, really good, that receiving core. I think they could be a very entertaining team. I think they can put up some points. I, I, the thing that concerns me so much is the offensive line. It's not that they just lose their entire starting offensive line. They lost like their sixth guy, too. He also transferred. It's crazy. And some of the guys they had coming in, it d- didn't work out as planned. So, uh, you know, Armstrong is going to be back there. Is he going to make it through a season if they can't block for him? Are they going to be able to, and they've been talking about trying to get a traditional running game for the longest time, and they just have not been able to do it the last three or four years. Um, Bronco Mendenhall, when he was there, they just couldn't do it. They couldn't run the ball. It might've even been the entire time he was there. They, they couldn't do it. They relied so much on their quarterback. So uh, that's a lot to put on Brennan Armstrong's shoulders. And then defensively, they couldn't stop anybody last year. I think they could be better just by bringing in somebody who has a little bit uh, more focus on fundamentals and, you know, schematically they can do some stuff. And Tony Elliott's talked about, you know, trying to play complimentary football where the offense isn't going down and scoring in 40 seconds. Then your defense is just gassed and gives up the touchdown the other way. I mean, you, you look at the BYU game last year where they gave up 60 some points in that game. You're like, well, you got to give your defense some help. If you're offensively, you can't just go up and down the field like that. So uh, those two teams have a, a lot of question marks uh, for first-year coaches this year. I think it could be uh, some rough going, uh, certainly if they get some injuries in, in, in the wrong spots. Who do you think is better between the two of them right now? Give me your uh, get, get all the Virginia Tech or Virginia fans mad at you. Which one's going to be the better team? I mean, I picked Virginia Tech fourth and Virginia fifth Okay. in, in the division. Uh, that game this year is in Blacksburg, Virginia has not won in Blacksburg since 1998. Good reason uh, to pick the Hokies. <laughs> I mean, even, even as down as Virginia Tech has been in the last couple of years, the Hokies have lost once to them in the last 20 years. I mean, yeah, th- th- these are just facts of these two programs and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's tough to, to deny them. I mean, it's just, there's something about the Virginia Tech and this rivalry that, you know, UVA gets down there inside the 15 yard line. They're poised to score. They have all these weapons at the end of the game last year, and they turn around, they throw a lateral out wide to the offensive tackle. <laughs> and you go, what, what? <laughs> what galaxy brain forced you to do? You have Brennan Armstrong and all these receivers who are so incredible. And you throw a lateral out wide to an offensive tackle and he gets tackled for like a five yard loss <laughs> and they lose a play. And then they throw an incompletion. The game's over. And you go, how did you snatch defeat from the jaws of victory in that game? It's, it's just what they did in 2018 uh, in Virginia Tech. It's, it's just what they did in 2020. Well, 2020 was, it was not a close game. 2018 was one that like six different things had to happen in the exact order in the fourth quarter and overtime for them to lose that game. They still did it somehow. So 
Uh, I don't know. It, it, that's one of those things where it's like, show me, show me UVA that you're better than Virginia Tech. And I haven't seen it uh, in my time that I've been here outside one year when Bryce Perkins really put on the Superman cape. You and I were huge fans of David Cutcliffe and the job he did at Duke. Um, I think Mike Elko is a great hire, though, in terms of being able to re- replace him. Georgia Tech, I think, is sort of a lost case. I, I am pushing me and, and Kelvin Harris, who I have on the show every now and then, um, have been pushing for Georgia Tech to make a run at Deion Sanders. I think that maybe uh, saves the uh, saves Georgia Tech. Should are they just complete non-factors this year in the race? You think in your mind, Georgia Tech and Duke just kind of like, yeah, bad years. I, <laughs> well, I mean, I look at Duke. Duke was horrible last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were a terrible team. That defense was atrocious. It's a good thing they hired a defensive-minded coach to come in and fix that. I mean, they they got destroyed by Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech was <laughs> fired its coach two days later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, you know, it tells you kind of what position uh, Duke was in last year. And it, it, the thing with Duke is like. Some teams, you look at them and you go, man, I just don't know if this coach is getting the most out of this talent. You, you know, you think that with my with Manny Diaz, you think that with Justin Fuente, you know, you didn't think that with that David Cutcliffe. Right. That was never the case with him. You're going, man, he's probably maximizing the talent here. That's the issue is maybe he's not bringing in the talent that he has in the past or developing it, 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 it all the way to its full extent. So uh, I think that that program's in for a big rebuild. I think it's, it's not a one year type thing. I think it's going to take a couple years to kind of get momentum moving back in the right direction. Then Georgia tech, uh, you know, I've not been a Jeff Collins bandwagoner at all his entire time there. And I know the first year he had, you know, he's coming from a spread offense to transitioning out of that. And it's like a true year zero. You hear that a lot with coaches for that it was like true. Like they had with, they didn't have a tight end on the roster, but they had like 15 running backs or something like that. Like yeah. That is a tough roster to turn around, but everything I've seen from what Georgia tech has done has just not impressed me the last well, and, couple of years. And all their best players are leaving. J- uh, Jameer Gibbs takes Jameer off. Gibbs going to Alabama. It's like, I Oh mean, man. Okay. Good luck with that. And then on top of that, I don't know what Jeff Collins did to anybody this year for this schedule, but <laughs> I mean, you open with Clemson, you close at Georgia and they, you know, they have those every year. So I understand that that's how that goes, but then the non-conference, they also play Ole Miss and at UCF. Yeah. Not, I mean, not a fun. I mean, he's gone three and nine. What, how many years in a row? Was it two or three years in a row now? Three years in a row. I think it's every year he's gone three and nine. I mean, that's what I'm saying to me, listen, Georgia tech's an important program in the ACC. They're in Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta's basically become the capital of, of SEC country. Doesn't Deion Sanders hiring Deion Sanders, paying him whatever it takes to bring him in there, make Georgia Tech, you know, a factor, kind of the way Miami did with bringing Crystal Ball back? Maybe. I think Crystal Ball more, has more of a, you know, he's like that was his alma mater, right? You know, prime think, time I think, I think, in Atlanta. He is Atlanta. He did. He is, but you know, I, I think Florida State that might have more effect uh, for him there. The thing I, I wonder is. Would that be, you know, if he's attracting these top flight recruits and stuff, is that going to work at Georgia Tech? Are they going to be able to get those guys into Georgia Tech? And that was sort of part of the reason with with Paul Johnson is, you know, some of the academic uh, hurdles that they had to get over in terms of getting guys in there. That's why they went with the option is they've they've thought that could be a a good reason or a good way to to run a a program with some of those limitations. So uh, I don't know. They got to do something different. I mean, that was was always Jeff Collins's thing when he came in. It's like, this is the University of Atlanta. 
we're going to sell the ATL and we're going to connect to these guys. And here we are three years in and this just doesn't seem like there's any progress there. There's so, no pull. There's no magnet. I know, man. And that, like, I love that stadium because it's like downtown. It's fun. Out, it, it, when it's when it's too early in the year and it's nice out, when it's cold in the year and it's an outdoor press box, it's <laughs> it miserable. Sucks. It's so terrible out there. But like, <laughs> if it's early enough, you're there, you're outdoors, your eardrums are bursting from when they play all the way turned up in the fourth quarter, running mm-hmm. on like 15 straight years now of doing that. But man, the last time we were down there, it was like a, it was like 40 to nothing. Like Virginia Tech just absolutely blew them out. It was a, not a great Virginia Tech team that did it either. And it was just dead. I mean, there was nobody in the crowd. And when that stadium is empty, it is just a mausoleum. It's just like a wall of empty bleachers in the south end or in the, one of the end zones going up where the students normally are. Uh, I don't know, but when that place is rocking, it's really good. I'd like to see Georgia Tech get back to something like that because I do enjoy going there when it's a a lively atmosphere. And I know you got to go to practice here in a bit, and I don't want to hold you up too much longer. Two more questions, and then you can run out of here and and get get down there uh, to practice. One of the eight, I think you said, how you have available to you this year, right? That uh, you can go watch. That's right. In camp, we got (laughs) in availability. We we got availability at all eight, and we can see part of eight. So that's an improvement. Uh, yes. In the in the avail in being able to watch practice, not so much in the number of players we get to talk to, but you know, there's the give and take, I guess. Realignment, you know, ACC maybe views itself as the third best conference uh, after you know Pac-12 loses USC and UCLA. I'm sure you know you mentioned Jim Phillips already. I know Fortuna wrote about his conversations out there. Um. Grace and I broke down the Granite rights. Andy Stables wrote about it. I mean, it seems pretty airtight. The only way I think anybody could escape at this point in the next, I don't know, six to eight years from that thing is if the conference decides to open up and invite some teams. That's basically what I've been told by a couple of different lawyers uh, that I've asked questions regarding this thing. What's what's sort of the mood, I guess, in the conference, in your opinion? And what do you think happens? What do you think shakes out here? This feels like one of those family dinners where everybody is wary of the person they're sitting next to. Right. <laughs> like you've got like a fork underneath the table or something like that. that you are just like gripping very tightly. Like, I don't know what this guy next to me is going to do. So uh, I'm not describing any family dinners that I have been to, by the way, that's not a commentary. <laughs> that doesn't happen. At the family. Family. I'm, I'm just imagining some sort of family gathering <laughs> out there where there's some, a little bit of uh, wariness of, of everybody else at the table. Um, I mean, yeah, everybody's going to talk about unity and preach unity, but at the same time, I guarantee you every school's lawyers have looked over this grant of rights thing to see if there's a way out of it. And uh, I don't know that there is like, I'm not a legal expert, but you know, USC or uh, Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC after the grant of rights expires in the big 12 USC and UCLA are going to the big 10 after the grant of rights expires in the PAC 12. Uh, Nobody is challenging these things which tells me it's probably either really difficult or more trouble than it's worth or really expensive or a combination of all those three things. And when you're talking about a couple of years, yeah, maybe you can just wait it out. But in the ACC's 13, 14 more years of this thing, that's a long time. Uh, so I, I don't know if there's a way out of it. I, I feel like these schools are just kind of stuck together for the time being, because I don't know what you do to add significant eyeballs and money to the conference. Like there's no, there's no, Outside of Notre Dame, there's no silver bullet out there that's going to mm-hmm. make that happen. And I, I don't think Notre Dame's coming. <laughs> like no, if, they, if that's what the everybody's wait, 
if I don't think they're going to the Big Ten either. I think they're going to sit there and be happy being independent. I think NBC or somebody else will pony up enough money for them to continue with their independence and get their, you know, their little unique specialness that they have to every other school in the country. And I, I think they like that and they'll pay for that in money. They don't care if they don't make as much money as the Big Ten schools. They're Notre Dame. They'll make it up somewhere else. Um, but if Notre Dame's not coming, I don't know who you add that you know, significantly alters the TV contract or adds enough money to it that all of a sudden everybody's slice of the pie is bigger than it was before. Uh, you know, people talk about Oregon and Washington. It's like, oh man, the, the Big Ten, they might want them. It's like, if the Big Ten wanted Oregon and Washington, they would have taken Oregon and Washington already. There's nothing stopping great. them from doing that right now. They've looked at the, the inventory and they've said, no, we're good. Mm-hmm. No, thanks. We'll pass. And I, th- I think you look at the entirety of the Big 12 and the rest of the Pac-12, and it's probably everybody has the same feeling about the rest of those teams. Like, eh, they're all right, but they're not going to be a game changer. And that's what you need right now is the ACC is a game changer. You need to, to do something that could completely upset the, the status quo. And I just don't think that option is out there. So I don't envy Jim Phillips's position. Everybody's like, oh, he's making these uh, you know, speeches about you know, the, the house. Uh, great student athletes are. We need to get back to that. And it sounds very old school and not cutthroat like these other schools are. I don't know what he does. And I don't know if there's an obvious answer out there because if there was, they would have done it by now. Agreed. I think the ACC is just kind of screwed. And that's why I said maybe six to eight years from now when, when, you know, maybe they're desperate and the gap between them and the, and the uh, big 10 and SEC is much wider than it is right now. Uh, when the, when the income is, is, is very vast and they have no choice. Uh, I just think you're, you know, at least for the next four years, I can't see anything changing. And 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 that's something I heard from a couple of different administrators is, you know, this takes time to to pull off. It's not just going to happen overnight. And they, you know, they'll work with ESPN. ESPN's partners with them, right? Fifty fifty on this TV deal. So ESPN's going to want to make some more money as well. But you know, maybe it's some version of the alliance where you have some Pac twelve ACC Don't kickoff say games. alliance. Don't I can't say that word. No, you got to be like some sort of confederation or some something. You can't <laughs> say alliance. You need to bury the word alliance. If it comes up, you cannot say it. If you are commissioner of any of these conferences, I because the last one was so disastrous. You're right, though. I mean, with 14 years left on this uh, grant of rights, I don't know there's much you can do, but that bond becomes less and less by the year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 10 years from now, if you're looking at four years left that you have to wait to get out of it or buy out of it or however you could possibly get out of it, that's a little bit more palatable than 14 or 15. And, and you know, having to, you know, what's the bill right now? It's like 400 million or something like so, that. Is that upwards, what the upwards amount of money? Million, you would, yeah. Yeah. You'd have to pay and what you would, would forfeit in addition to possibly not being on TV for a long time. I mean, that's just too much. No school could stomach that right now. But when you're four years from the finish line, maybe you can. Yeah. I mean, and at that point, you're, there's desperation because the gap will be so wide. You know, it'll just keep widening with the SEC and, and Big Ten. Um, last one, and you can go. Is the Miami Virginia Tech rivalry dead? Is this it? You know, we, the sexiness of this this game between these teams. I mean, I know they're going to play twice every four years, but the Coastal's gone. Feels like could just become another game. You think that's the case? Well, let's pause for a moment to look at the big loser in this whole situation and it's me and everybody else on the Virginia tech beat who will no longer have an every other year trip to Miami to look forward to. 
I this feel is disastrous. This was my idea. And then they screwed it up by not giving Miami Virginia Tech as an annual partner. Uh, you know, I, I set my clock to that South Beach trip every other year. And now it's going to be every four years. Like, it's like the, the Olympics. Heck? Oh, my gosh. This is going to be just devastating to my travel itineraries here. Um, I don't know if it's dead. My hope is that uh, they'll get through this first four years and they'll see how it works. Then they go, we've made a huge mistake in not pairing up Virginia Tech and Miami. I look at Louisville's partners. I go, those should be Virginia Techs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, play, they play Georgia Tech and Virginia and Miami. I'm like, those should be Virginia Tech's partners. Like, what are you doing? And Virginia Tech has Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, and Virginia. I'm like, those should be Louisville's partners. If you swap those two, this is a very easy fix. I don't know why the, the conference is uh, bending over backwards to accommodate Louisville and give them some some better matchups in this whole thing when they, you know, they were the last ones in, you shouldn't be concerned about what their feelings are right now. But, you know, the thing I like about Virginia tech Miami is it's just sort of this, you know, clash of styles and clash of, of cultures between the two. And it's been so even they've played 30 straight years and the teams are 15 and 15. Yeah. Uh, there's some bragging rights on the mm-hmm. line this year in the last one before they stop this annual matchup. And, Every year, it's it's Miami's you know talent and flash against Virginia Tech's blue collarness and you know workmanlike team and like I just like that I like that that contrast of styles and you go back and, and you look at the history of this program there's been some great games mm-hmm. uh, you know I great know they finishes. haven't they haven't been for like the ACC title or anything like that but I, I mean it's they've been great matchups over the years I think there's some dislike between the two programs I think the, the players get up for this particular game and you know I'm gonna miss it I, I think it's just idiocy that the ACC didn't match these two teams up I, I would have loved to have been in the room when they were discussing this because I have no idea how they came up with these two these matchups that they did I know Miami fans were disappointed that was the the one that they kept screaming about how can we not play Virginia Tech every single year that's our rival. Uh, how did the Hokies fans take it? I mean, would you say Miami, I mean, outside of Virginia, obviously, the in-state rivalry, would you say that's the the game that they get up for every year? I mean, I know there's the non-conference stuff, but is that just sort of something that, I don't know, is, is so vitally important to the program to play Miami every year? Yeah, I think Miami, I think North Carolina is like that now, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but But I think most Virginia Tech fans are realistic to know that they're not among North Carolina's top three, four, maybe even five rivals that they mm-hmm. had to play every single year. But you know, Virginia Tech, Miami coming to the ACC at the same time. They're, they have a Big East past going way back. They've played in so many games that the rivalry's been so close. I just don't know why you'd stop that. And like, who are Miami? Miami's playing Louisville every year. Is that right? They've got Louisville every single year, which, you know, they weren't even in, in the BC? Big East when Miami is BC was. One of ours, who, who else do they have? I BC, BC, the two furthest opponents, right? BC and Miami in terms of I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Like, like who's sitting here going, man. Got to have BC Miami. Like what? Based on Doug Flutie? Is that all you're you're basing right. that on? Like I don't get it. And Louisville Miami's got no history, right? Like what, what well, Miami that? didn't like, keep anybody from 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 the uh, coastal. They, I mean, look, Louisville and and BC are all Atlantic teams along with Florida State, so they didn't keep any of their coastal rivals. Yeah, I don't get. I mean, Virginia Tech plays Wake Forest, and that's regional, mm-hmm. but there's not really a history there. I mean, the history of that rivalry is the zero zero regulation game where Frank Beamer is raising his arms up in the air as a field goal miss as they're going to, to overtime tied zero zero. That's the only history with wake forest. Like I realize it's close and maybe that's was the driving factor. in some of the stuff was, 
regionality and, and, and uh, you know, making it easier for fans to get the places. But I think you ask any Virginia tech fan, would you put, rather play wake forest every year in Miami? They're choosing Miami. Yeah. Even if that's a, you know, a bigger picture, that should be a more difficult matchup. You know, Wake Forest is the the reigning Atlantic Division champion. I think Virginia Tech fans would still love to go down to Miami every other year and see the Hurricanes have to come up to Blacksburg. Andy, we got to uh, do this more often, especially now that uh, Atlantic and Coastal has gone away. And you know, I got this on YouTube, right? You, you made sure you, you you looked good for for today's show. That's you, right. You always I'll look pour sharp. Some but... Out here, I'll pour some out for the on the the floor here for Atlantic and Coastal. That's <laughs> got some ginger ale here that we can pour out for it. But we got to do this more often because I, I think uh, you know we people come to the Athletic for for all of our coverage, not just our individual teams. And I think. ACC, we can't ignore. It's the third best conference. That's what we got to call ourselves now. Solid number three. That's, number that's, three. That we're number three. New, that should be their new uh, calling card. <laughs> ACC, we're number three. At least we're, we're not on as loose footing as the Big 12 and Pack whatever it's going to be called. Right. The Pack something. Yeah. It was fun. Get you back on again. Thank you, man. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.